Hi, I'm Tony. I'm Claire. And this is PodMed Trending. And this is an exciting moment for me, Claire. I'm so excited. I know. Recently, in a, in a recent episode, Claire talked about an article that she was authored on that was trending number one on, on PubMed Trending. Bless up. Um, and I finally get to do the same thing, but from my point of view as an Ooh. author on another trending article that just came out earlier this week, as in the week that we're recording this, so the week of November 5th. Um, so as the time of this recording, it is number six, I believe, on PubMed Trending, which is very exciting. And, Yay, Tony. You know, great for me, obviously, but I, I think really it goes to point out just the amount of work and effort that went into this article by mm-hmm. all of the authors on mm-hmm. it. But the title of this article that we'll be talking about today is Nociceptor Neurons Affect Cancer Immunosurveillance. It was authored primarily by Mohammed Baloud, a member of Sebastian Talbot's lab. At the time that they were doing this, they were at the University of Montreal, but I believe that he is actually moving institutions right now. So I, I don't remember where he's going off the top of my head. Point is, this was very much a long labor of a lot of work from a lot of people, including uh, my mentor, Dr. Vermeer, as well as other members in the lab, uh, including a recent graduate of the USD MD PhD program, Chris. Uh, who is Shout now out. in his residency? Um, um, where was it published? I mean, <laughs> just a little, a little journal that you might be unfamiliar with is okay. called Nature. Oh, um, so again, neat. like you know, it's a new, a new journal that just came out. Um, <laughs> so we'll, we'll see how the impact factor goes. Yeah, I'm thinking low ones. <laughs> 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 Sorry. Um, so really, this article is. Uh, focused on an emerging field in cancer biology, mm-hmm. uh, which has become known as cancer neuroscience. It, mm-hmm. It's a broad field that incorporates both the function of uh, neurons uh, interacting with central nervous system tumors, so you might think of like glioblastomas, mm-hmm. uh, meningiomas, things mm-hmm. like that, as well as the function of neurons in the periphery interacting with solid tumors outside of the central nervous system. Like, for example, like breast cancers, squamous cell carcinomas, and in this case, which this paper focuses on, melanoma. Now, nerves have been identified to be in solid tumors for a really long time, mm-hmm. like way back in like the 70s and 80s. They like Pathologists were like, hey, there's a nerve there. Mm-hmm. Um, but for a really long time, they were thought to just be just passengers just hanging out in the tumor. Like they weren't actually functionally active there. Um, but a lot of really landmark studies primarily conducted by... Claire Magnon, uh, who is a researcher studying prostate cancer primarily, uh, demonstrated that uh, nerves actually play a really functional and important role, not only in cancer progression, but also in cancer initiation. So this work kind of like builds off of like those foundational studies identifying Mm -hmm. that like, hey, these nerves are present in all these different solid tumors, and there are actually functional units within this environment. Uh, to try to kind of understand how one type of neuron, and in this case, nociceptor neurons, so that you might think of them also as like sensory neurons, they mm-hmm. play an important role in like pain and temperature sensation, and how those neurons actually functionally contribute to cancer progression. And they focus, by they I mean like the Talbot lab, focused on the interaction of these neurons and regulating the immune environment. And the reason for that is because in epidermal tissues, Mm -hmm. sensory nerves played an incredibly important and functional role in uh, mediating immune responses to things like bacterial, viral, and fungal infections. So they're like, hey, 
there's all this really already like profound and foundational research like establishing this functional role uh this foundational role uh and mediating these immune responses and they're like hey wouldn't that be interesting if it's the same thing was happening in the development of a tumor mm-hmm. so first thing to know is again oh you had a question uh yeah well i don't i wasn't sure if you're gonna get to this but why melanoma great question uh and i will okay get to that actually right now so a lot of these studies to answer your question mm-hmm. were actually primarily focused on cancers that are either from an already highly innervated tissue like prostate cancer for example that was a really low-hanging fruit to investigate this the function of these structures because it's a highly innervated tissue already other cancers that were readily pounced on for this kind of study were things that uh were like cancer associated pain was a highly correlated symptom so head and neck cancers for example which mm. my lab studies um pancreatic cancer these are all very fun like associated with cancer associated pain so they're like hey what if there's nerves there shockingly there <laughs> unshockingly i should say <laughs> there are <laughs> and so i i don't know exactly why they focused on melanoma uh with his work but i th- my my thought is that it had to do with the epidermal nature of that cancer mm-hmm. and the fact that those tissues are also highly innervated mm-hmm. and there's also a functional role of the nociceptor neurons contributing to uh, regulation of the local immune response. And as far as epidermal and skin cancers would go, melanoma being associated with the highest rate of death and morbidity. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing that, that comes into it, which I think we'll touch on a little bit later, is that there's been a lot of clinical studies using some of the more like emergent therapeutic options for patients. So like immunotherapies and like monoclonal antibodies mm-hmm. that have been thought to like be promising but then when they get actually into patient use Mm -hmm. they're mm, kind of hit or miss you know what i mean it's like some patients respond very well to them and some patients don't respond at all um we have an episode on that we do if you want (laughs) if you're listening to this and i want to scooch back a few uh check it out hit play on some other episodes as people are starting to like broaden their understanding of like how the tumor and microenvironment interact with each other. Mm -hmm. Understanding all the components of it is really important and how they may impact treatment response. Mm -hmm. And I think this is in one way how they're trying to answer that question, which is like, why do some patients really respond to immunotherapies and some do not? Gotcha. So the first thing they wanted to show is that melanomas are innervated. This is kind of the part of the (laughs) the paper that I worked on. So Mm -hmm. I'm, I got in and out real quickly. <laughs> um, and so they did this in, in a number of ways. Uh, they looked at like patient uh, tissue samples with uh, tumor with non-tumor adjacent tissue and looked for beta-3 tubulin staining, which is a uh, axon marker. So they could look at axons within the tumor environment. And they showed that there was a, uh, a difference in the density of those beta-3 tubulin uh, stained axons in the tumor environment compared to the normal adjacent tissue, which they took to it. In, by they, I also, I guess I have to include myself in this, <laughs> took to demonstrate that like those tumors are more densely innervated than their endogenous normal tissue should be. Then they also wanted to just demonstrate if those nerves that they were looking at, were they actually interacting with these tumor cells? Mm-hmm. And so they went to an in vivo model where they actually had a transgenic melanoma cell line. Now they transgenically modified it so they would express GFP. Mm -hmm. so they could see it Mm -hmm. uh and then they also put those tumor cells into tomato nav 1.8 mice so Mm -hmm. this is a transgenic mouse model where nav 1.8 nerves express the red fluorescent marker tomato 
Uh, so they're like, oh, if we just collect these tumor samples that we put in these mice, if we see red fibers, we know that A, they're nociceptive in nature because NAV 1.8 is a sodium channel that is seen on nociceptive neurons. And then if they're interacting within this like GFP positive tissue, we know that they're being drawn into this tumor space. And they do see that, so unsurprising. I have a question, but it's going back a second. No worries. When they looked at innervation of human tumors versus the adjacent tissue, yeah. did they also look at, because, you know, melanoma usually arises from a pre-existing benign nevi yeah nevus or a mole and then which transforms into a dysplastic nevus which then transforms into a melanoma is there like a dose response between nevus dysplastic nevus melanoma i'm not sure if they uh, fully correlated every single step of that but Mm -hmm. i do know in these as well as in some various other studies throughout the paper Mm -hmm. they have normal like keratinocytes as a control but Mm -hmm. then they also compare it to benign nevus okay again i don't know if they like they actually measured like the the progression from each different step but they did show that like at an early benign state Mm -hmm. even though it's technically a precancerous lesion Mm -hmm. it's not as innervated as a full uh, metastatic melanoma okay yeah following this they're like okay so if these neurons are inside the tumor environment are they actually functional so to do that they wanted to establish whether or not malignant cells alter the function of these nociceptive neurons and they use calcium flux imaging uh, to establish that so essentially what they showed was that in the presence of these melanoma cells not only do they see phenotypic changes so the length of the neurites are longer and they form connections with these cells in vitro but when they are in vitro, co-culture together, that is, mm-hmm. the uh, melanoma cells promote increased sensitivity to things like capsaicin and KCL, which are common uh, stimulatory molecules to stimulate a, a calcium flux in these, in these neurons. What they took from that was that in the presence of these cancer cells, these neurons not only are still functional, but they are more sensitized to these uh, stimuli that promote their calcium flux and release of neuropeptides and other internervous like components which was exciting interesting i guess i mean i didn't do it so <laughs> who cares so not so not as cool as the beta 3 tubulins not as cool as my ihc staining <laughs> oh i also i guess i did some if co-culture staining not co-culture staining but a uh, double if staining but do you have any photos of the actual experiments that you did like i did yeah ones? so if you want to see like the one thing i contributed it's not even in the main body of the tent. <laughs> it's one of the 13 uh, extended figures. It's number one, I believe, once I find it. It's buried. I apologize to the listeners for having to listen to this. Yeah, so by here there is a patient biopsies mm-hmm. where we look at tumor, adjacent intact tissue, mm-hmm. and we look at beta 3 tubulin staining and trip one staining as well. Uh, nice. I think they put, yeah, they put trip one staining here. So that's a... It's a receptor on, on nociceptor neurons. So that that's what I contributed, <laughs> these these two images. <laughs> actually, it's actually just, they only have one image on here, so it's barely anything. <laughs> Point is, after they were able to demonstrate that in the presence of cancer cells, these neurons are still active and 
in fact, more sensitized to become active, they wanted to ask a very simple question, which was like, okay, so when they're simulated, what are they releasing? Uh, and unsurprisingly, they release a lot of things into the, the cell media. Uh, so again, these are all in vitro, mm -hmm. so uh, in like a Petri dish experiments. But one thing that they did see was that there was a pretty significant increase in the amount of CGRP, so that's calcitonin gene-related peptide. A really stupid name for a peptide, if you ask me, but I didn't name <laughs> well, it. So. What's a good name for a peptide? I don't know, neuropeptide number six. <laughs> At least you know what it is. And so they were, they were like, okay, so this is really interesting. CGRP is a neuropeptide released by nociceptor neurons, which is great because that's what we're investigating. <laughs> uh, and it, it's released into the cell media, is increased when DRG are plated with our melanoma cells. And interestingly enough as well is that um, when they did RNA sequencing of those DRG, they do see that the transcript for CGRP is also significantly increased when they are co-cultured with melanoma versus by themselves, as well as the NGF receptor, TERC-A. Um, so they're like, hey, maybe the upregulation of this NGF receptor is why these neurons are growing uh, more robustly in the presence of melanoma. That'll and be. the increased expression of this um, the CGRP transcript, CALC-A, maybe that's why we see more release. It's not just like the neurons are being sensitized to release more things, it's they're being transcriptionally remodeled to actually increase the production as well. So following that, they were like, okay, so but how does this relate back to the immune system, as you might be wondering? Oh, you know, I always <laughs> um, keep the immune system in mind. <laughs> yeah, who doesn't? Um, so they, they really kind of narrowed in their focus on T-cells. And the reason for that is because T-cells express the receptors for CGRP. Um, that would be RAMP1 and, oh my god, CalCER. Uh, it has to be dimerized, uh, so RAMP1 has to form a complex with CalCER for the CGRP to bind and cause downstream activation. Point is, is that they were like, let's focus on these cytotoxic CDA T cells, not only because they are potentially being signaled by CGRP release, but also they're kind of the main functional unit that is anti-tumor in, in the human body, mm -hmm. uh, at least the one that people really focus on right now. And so they decided, they're like, okay, so if we co-culture our melanoma cells with our cytotoxic CD8 T cells, which we like made uh, in vitro, either by themselves, melanoma and CD8 T cells together, or alongside DRG, how, how does that change the transcriptional profile of these things? So they found that when they cultured their melanoma cells with the DRG alongside the CD8 T cells, they saw an increase in this uh, this substance that was released called SLP1. So if you're wondering what that is, it's a secretory leukocyte protease inhibitor. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. This plays actually a really important role uh, in protecting epithelial cells from the activity of serine proteases, but they also uh, promote regeneration of transected retinal uh, ganglia cells. So not only does it protect epithelial cells, it promotes more uh, neurite outgrowth in injured neurons. So they're like, oh, wow, this is all coming together so nicely. And I was like, yeah, it only took like so long. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, no. And so following this, they're like, okay, but when we uh, stimulate DRG, if we stimulate it with this SLPI, do we also see increased sensitivity to these KCL and uh, capsaicin, which stimulates the release of like the calcium flux in, in neurons. And they do see that. So like when you treat the DRG with SLPI, uh, they do see actually that the neurons are even 
more highly sensitized than if they were not treated with it at all. And so all this stuff together, they're just like, wow, okay. So this means that when in co-culture, DRG become more sensitized due to the melanoma cells being there. And when uh, they become more sensitized, they release more CGRP. And then when they release more CGRP, that stimulates increases uh, SLPI, especially when in co-culture together with T-cells. And this just increases the sensitization of these neurons, which increases the release of CGRP. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, essentially. Question. Yes. Uh, maybe this is because I'm, you know, immune naive. <laughs> but when they, they're, so they're co-culturing with the T-cells, but like... I think of T cells as something responding to something. Yes. But like in there, they're like already there. Yes. So we will get to okay, that. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, they're really at this point, they're just trying to see if there's an interaction between these three okay. components like, when they're interact? all together. Okay. Yes. Uh, and then they're also really interested at the very end of this. They were just like, okay, so like that's great. T cells are there, but like what we care about is are these neurons actually contributing to them not functioning anymore? Because the idea is that. When a tumor is more densely innervated, they have lower immune response, so the tumor grows faster. Mm -hmm. That's the whole hypothesis here. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, okay, so if we took these innervated tumors and looked at these, what they call T-cell exhaustion markers, so it would be like LAG3, TIM3, uh, and PD-1, do we see higher expression of those uh, markers on these T-cells from our in vivo melanomas grown in nerve-intact mice? And the answer is yes. When they compare it to T-cells isolated from just normal mice, they're like, well, in the presence of like these sensory neurons, these T-cells are more exhausted than if they weren't in interaction with these sensory neurons. So they're like, this is really interesting. This is mm. getting cool. And mm -hmm. I was like, hi, can I be an author? <laughs> <laughs> um, this is essentially how that went. <laughs> Uh, so what they really wanted to focus on next, though, was just a really simple question, which was like, okay, so that's great. Like, all these things in vitro are working exactly how we anticipate them. But if we inject these mice with these melanoma cells mm -hmm. um, and we ablate these sensory neurons, do we see a difference in tumor growth? And do we see a difference in the immune cells present in the environment? And obviously, this wouldn't be published in nature if that wasn't the case. So long story short, when they injected these mice into a trip one DTA knockout, uh, which is a knockout of the trip one uh, expressing neurons, which is a nociceptor neuron, uh, they showed that there is a significant reduction in tumor growth uh, compared to the wild-type counterparts. Additionally, when they collected uh, T-cells and analyzed them from these two mouse models, they saw mm -hmm. that the T-cells within the trip one DTA mice actually had lower expression of their exhaustion markers compared to the T-cells collected from the neuronal competent mice. I have a question. Yes. Which might be out of the scope of this paper because I know it's focused on the immune system. But for our listeners, uh, some tumors have specific tropism for where they metastasize. Yes. And melanoma likes to metastasize to the brain. It does. Does that have anything to do with it being a highly innervated tumor? No. Okay. So it's kind of an unrelated topic. Okay. So really just to get to the, the heart of that question is that neurons have been shown to promote metastasis, mm -hmm. but they have in no way any impact really on Where? the destination of that metastasis. Okay. That has much more to do with just like the priming of those metastatic locations, which is very cancer specific. Yep. Uh, it comes back to that whole like seed in the soil theory from like quite literally the 1800s. <laughs> like we have not moved past that yeah. uh, because it's a pretty good theory. 
obviously uh, not a, a cancer biologist over here. <laughs> no worries. I barely am. So <laughs> they really wanted to investigate whether or not this tumor growth difference was a result of a difference in the immune phenotype of these tumors from R2B1 DTA and wild-type mice. And so they repeated the study using a uh, non-immunogenic isogenic melanoma model. It's called Yummer 1.7. <laughs> Yummer? So, yeah. It, it's an interesting choice. It basically uh, is a highly immunogenic derivative of the uh, melanoma cell lines that they were using. And they saw that when they repeated these in, be- uh, in vivo studies using this immunogenic model, is that uh, they still saw a reduction in tumor growth, but the they still saw as well alongside that a reduction in the T-cell exhaustion profiles. And so they're like, okay, so this tumor growth difference is not uh, due to just like the loss of these neurons alone. It also has to do with the reprogramming of these immune systems, and in particular, these CD8 cells. And so using this transgenic model, they're like, oh God, like... What if we're, like, causing different changes to the immune environment anyways? Mm-hmm. And so they repeated, it, like, all of those studies using uh, chemical ablation with RTX, which is just a, a chemical that's similar to capsaicin that causes uh, chemical ablation of sensory neurons. And they repeated all those studies that I just discussed in that transgenic, excuse me, in that chemical ablation model, and they saw mm-hmm. the exact same thing. And then they did the exact same thing using an optogenetic model but they were basically asking like okay so like we're showing that loss of these neurons causes a depletion of these t-cell exhaustion but Mm -hmm. if we stimulate these nerves to release cgrp by Mm -hmm. optogenetics basically just like bathing the mice in blue light every day uh do we see a increase in the t-cell exhaustion because again, CGRP is thought to be driving this exhaust- exhaustion state. And so those T-cells would no longer be functional. Long story short, that's exactly what they saw. Great. So treating the mice with blue light caused increased CGRP release, which they tested. And then they saw that those T-cells were more exhausted compared to just untreated mice. And just for our listeners, the treatment of the blue light is specifically activating a transgenic ion channel that's deposited specifically in those neurons that is specifically responsive to blue light and that's opto like visual genetics yeah exactly and in case you're wondering like what cell type was (laughs) uh, genetically changed it was once again the nav 1.8 oh no nav (laughs) 1 yeah because they were really trippy one is just a subset of most neurons so they really wanted to just get all as as many as they can get okay so all of that being said, their next questions they had to answer was like, okay, so we've shown that through these various like ablation models that we could alter these immune cells and alter tumor growth, but what happens if we do a drug treatment instead? With what drug? Great question. So <laughs> I can't get too into it because it's not like on the market. Um, but it's, it's discussed in the paper, so okay. I can at least talk about it a little bit. So it's a drug called uh, QX314. It is a charged membrane impermeable form of lidocaine. So it basically blocks uh, voltage-gated uh, ion channels, mm-hmm. uh, spe- specifically sodium channels, mm-hmm. I believe. So basically, they're like, if we treat these mice with this lidocaine derivative every day... Do we see changes in, A, the functionality of these nerves? And then also, do we see a difference in the immune cell population within the tumor environment? And unsurprisingly, they do. 
So obviously silencing of these nerves resulted in decreased tumor growth, uh, increased survival, and a reduction in the exhausted phenotype of these T cells that they saw in vivo. I have a tangential thought. Yes. People with genetic or congenital insensitivity to pain Mm -hmm. frequently have mutations in sodium ion channels that are specifically affecting sensory neurons so they it's kind of like i don't know a superhero movie like they cut their hand they can't tell exactly kind of thing i wonder if they would have um you know better cancer survival it's an interesting question um but i think part of the issue would be that a like you're already reducing your population because that's a rare disease um a group of diseases because different genes can cause it but they also have a lower life expectancy just yeah, because, like, if you have appendicitis, you can't tell because you're yeah. not in pain. Yeah. Or if you break your leg, you can't tell until it, like, you know, yeah. causes severe issues. Cause they have a big it, issue with, like, infections yeah. and burns exactly. and everything like yeah. that. So, so it yeah, sounds like, I oh, I yeah. would love to be, in some, you know, insensitive to physical pain. Like, it sounds like it would be this great benefit, but it's actually, like... Pain is an evolutionary adaptation so we can sense when yeah. we're in danger. It's a survival benefit. Yeah, yeah. I will say... I don't think this directly answers the question you're trying to get at, but Mm -hmm. I think it kind of answers the question adjacently. Mm -hmm. There have been a number of uh, studies that have, like retrospective studies. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is just based on patient survival long after they're like done with treatment, that patients on beta blockers, Mm -hmm. not a pain medication, but Mm -hmm. it does inhibit like uh, neuronal function, Mm -hmm. or at least signaling. They actually have a slight increase in survival Hmm. uh, and a slight decrease in cancer recurrence is this for a specific type of cancer or just all it's been done in multiple patient populations i believe the one that i always think of was like done on breast cancer survivals Hmm. interesting survivors not survivals um but again i don't think that directly answers the question but Mm -hmm. i think it does get into the idea that hey targeting the nervous system could benefit patients. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I asked, actually asked this question directly next. So following this treatment of just mice treated only with this QX314, mm-hmm. they saw a pretty significant increase in survival and also a reduction uh, in the T cells that weren't exhausted. So uh, an increase in the exhaustion phenotype. They were like, what if we paired this with a PDL1 inhibitor? <laughs> and what they saw was that it actually helped facilitate increased response to anti-PDL1 treatment. Nice. Which is very cool. Honestly, I was like, it's just like a throwaway like thing that they, again, put in the extended figures. That's not, I can't believe. <laughs> but that was the coolest thing about me, to me about this experiment, is that there's like, hey, not only does this like drug help reduce tumor growth, but it actually increases response to like to other therapies, which but, is like, yeah, well, which like that has, you know, like direct clinical applicability. And it's just yeah. like, a dr- it's not like, yeah. Obviously, the Q whatever is something else, yeah. but like um, pembrolizumab or uh, the PDL one inhibitors is already on the market. It's already on the market, so yeah. it's like you yeah. know. It was yeah, it was wild to me. I was like, "That's a nature paper." When there's like <laughs> that, yeah. a bomb in the and, supplemental figures, yeah. and that was like <laughs> not to like get on a whole tangent about like just how ridiculous some of these like requirements for um, like what reviewers ask for. I think some of the experiments that going like walking through this sort of review process even though it was very tangentially and barely even related to it um but just like how long it was and how many experiments that they asked for after we've already like fulfilled a lot of requirements to answer these questions was part of me is like was it worth it 
I think like in the long run it was because the the experiments were so cool and like the data was so so amazing and the papers I think really cool but I think like as a person who like didn't have their career hanging on this I was like guys come on like <laughs> what else is there well now you're you're a nature yeah. published author which <laughs> at what point how many nature papers will it take for you nature papers about cancer biology to be for you to be like yeah i'm a cancer biologist Let's wait until i get a degree first <laughs> okay okay <laughs> so following all these like in vivo studies about like survival and drug response and like all the ablation studies and the tumor growth differences they're like okay we see that like in vivo we see like this difference in like the presence of the exhausted like t-cell phenotype and all this stuff but then they really circle back around and they're like okay what is the mechanism of course it's a, it. it's a nature paper it's a nature paper can't wait for that to be our tagline. Um, <laughs> and so they're just like, okay, so we we have some earlier data suggesting that like CGRP gets heavily released by these neurons in the presence of these like cancer cells. And ramp one, one of the receptors for CGRP, is present on T cells. So they're like, okay, what's happening there? Uh, and so basically, what they did is they just like <laughs> they did some experiments to see like how CGRP uh, affects activation of CD8 T cells. And long story short, they had wild-type RAMP1 T-cells and double knockout RAMP1 T-cells. So the RAMP1 knockouts do not respond to CGRP. And what they they showed was that treating these uh, CD8-positive T-cells with CGRP uh, promoted an exhaustion phenotype. And then when you had knockdown of RAMP1, you saw no change in the and the function of these T cells. They were still very active. They still killed cancer cells when they were plated in vitro with each other. And then they wanted to ask a question, jumping ahead here a little bit, but I think it really gets to the, the heart of this question, which mm-hmm. they were like, okay, if we inject these melanoma cells into rag mice, so these mm-hmm. are mice that do not have lymphocytes, so they don't have T cells, mm-hmm. and then transplant as well either wild-type RAMP1 T-cells, which can respond to CGRP, mm-hmm. or implant RAMP1 knockout T-cells, do we see the tumor growth difference? So they're really asking the very simple question, which now that we're at figure five, they, they could ask, which is that, okay, we see that these neurons, if you silence them, you see a tumor growth difference. We see that these T-cells respond to CGRP, but in vivo, is that really the thing that's driving this growth difference? Mm-hmm. And the short and the long of it is, obviously, <laughs> that was the case. Uh, when they compared uh, the rag mice that were injected with melanoma mm-hmm. and the RAMP1 knockout mm-hmm. or the wild type mm-hmm. uh, T cells, they saw that the mice with the RAG1 knockout had a significantly reduced tumor growth. And that's because the T cells were no longer becoming exhausted. They're still retaining their function. And the T cells were able to ablate and destroy the cancer cells. Wait. So it had reduced tumor growth. In the, the RAMP1? In the RAMP1 knockout T okay. cell injected into the RAG mice. Okay. Yeah. Did they inject the tumor, let them grow, and then inject the T cells? Yes. Or like at the same time? They they did. They waited a couple days before they injected the T cells. Okay. Which I think would kind of mimic what you would see in vivo right. anyways. You'd have to have the tumor yeah. for... Yeah. But they also wanted to maintain... Um, because these T cells were artificially stimulated, so they mm-hmm. were functional when they were injected into the mice. Mm-hmm. So they were like already kind of programmed to like attack cancer. Seek and destroy. Um, yeah. 
And then they also did RNA sequencing on these ramp one knockout. <laughs> Again, of course, this is the like, the, first, the fourth time in this paper. I'm making fun of this, but it was, it's really cool. It's it a really exciting paper. Um, but it's the fourth time they did RNA sequencing, <laughs> and they do show that the uh, when treated with CGRP, the ramp one knockout uh, T cells uh, showed reduced exhaustion markers. Nice. So like lag three, TIM three, PD one compared to the ramp one wild type, and so. Long story short, this could all be summarized kind of briefly after 40 minutes, that in melanoma, I can't, you can't generalize this to other cancers because it's likely that it's slightly different, but in melanoma, Mm -hmm. in this mouse model of melanoma, Mm -hmm. these tumors are innervated by nociceptor neurons. Those neurons are stimulated by cancer cells to innervate that space and they become more sensitized to noxious stimuli. Mm -hmm. In the presence of these cancers, these neurons release copious amounts of CGRP. Other neuropeptides as well, but this paper focused on CGRP. And that CGRP functions in promoting cancer progression by essentially exhausting T cells that are coming in to destroy cancer. And so basically, the T cells become exhausted, they are no longer functional, and the, t- uh, the cancer is able to basically proliferate and grow out of control. And so that's really, that's really the, the sum of this work. Uh, led by Sebastian Talbot again, like really got to give him and uh, Mohammed Baloud like their due diligence here. Like they worked on this for a really long time, and it's a very incredible story. So yeah, that's a thick stack of paper. You have yeah, and what's really funny is that tree, perhaps the um, <laughs> the uh, the actual article itself is seven pages, and then the next you want to know how other how many I other do, pages I do. are. 34. 34 <laughs> supplemental next, figures? No, no, no. The next 34 pages, pages. are supplemental figures. <laughs> oh <laughs> Which is just wow. And that's fine print, I must say. It's not yeah. like this isn't the um, yeah. large font. Yeah. And, those, and like their figures in the paper are already like, well, not figure four, but <laughs> the rest of them are like quite jam-packed with figures. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, subheaded figures. So it's, it's a lot. It was yeah. a lot of work. So I gotta ask you, yes. this is PodMed trending. How does it feel to be on PubMed trending? You know, I gotta, I gotta say, mm-hmm. I mentioned this to you earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's sunk in yet. Okay. It's mainly because I'm, I'm just so tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just yeah, so tired. Um, I think like in a, in a bit, in a couple of days, probably, mm-hmm. maybe, hopefully, when I get a rough draft of my dissertation done, so I don't have to worry about that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll finally sink in, and again, I will be insufferable. Be, oh no! I'll be living high. <laughs> um, so it'll be great. Well, I can definitely tell your dissertation is in cancer neuroscience because you seem very passionate about that. Yeah. Article. Well, I mean, who who couldn't be? It's a it's an exci- It's an exciting. Thing. It is. I think yeah. it's yeah. Yeah. From what I little I know about cancer and immunology, but um, more from the yeah. uh, the retired uh, pain researcher um, <laughs> perspective. I, it's yeah. very interesting. I think it's also just really exciting because, like, for a really long time and. I'll just say, like, as I mean, you, you know this as well as like a medical student, is that like the treatment for these diseases have been like not really going forward anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The survival of those patients has not like changed mm-hmm. at all in decades. Yeah. So it's like any I think anything at this point is like worth investigating in the field of cancer biology, just mm-hmm. because like who knows what it'll answer. I think in this case, there's some pretty good preliminary evidence. Mm-hmm. I want I'll preface this by saying it is quite a ways away from like actually being probably mm-hmm. used in like uh in clinic mm-hmm. um but there's some good evidence here i think to like look forward to like ha- investigating how the nervous system 
primes or alters the immune response in cancers um, and maybe potentially targeting that aspect of uh, of patients like treatment uh, to better respond to like already established therapies so that's all I'll say (laughs) (laughs) well that's very exciting yes all right so thanks for listening and join us next time